Hey, thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. Here at Reveal, our mission is simple. Find God, find others, and find yourself. For more information, visit us online at revealvineyard.com. All right, so this morning, we are continuing with our series, We Are, and today we're going to look at how we are, dot, 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 revealing the kingdom of God. Now, I know there's, I, like I said, I, I wasn't expecting this many, but I know there's not a whole lot of people in town in Phoenix this weekend. This is one of those annual Vacate Phoenix weekend. Um, so I'm assuming that those of us who are here, either you couldn't get a friend to invite you to their beach condo uh, or their, you know, their, their log cabin up uh, in the mountains up north. So, or you just have an odd disposition for heat. So whichever it is, I'm not sure what your, yours is. I drew the short straw and got stuck speaking this weekend, so that's why I'm here. Um, Okay, let's just, let's just deal with this right now. You're allowed to laugh. You're allowed to open your mouths and let sound come out. I won't be offended if you like, you know, yeah, like, you know. But, you know, obviously in inappropriate places. So if I'm saying something serious, then go, <laughs> like that wouldn't, that wouldn't work. So, so I have a very witty personality, so you're just going to have to work with me, all right? If you think I'm being serious, I'm probably not. Um, and so just assume that, that, I'm, that I'm just messing around with you for the most part. So, uh, but the quieter it is here, I may actually fall off the stage in, in, in a sleep. I'm like an ADD adult. Um, I had about four hours of sleep last night, actually less than that. I rewrote this message about 7, 8, 9 at night, and I didn't get done until about 3 in the morning because I just couldn't settle on, on where this went. So I need something coming from you so that I can actually keep my own brain engaged. So are we cool with that? All right. Thank you. All right. So... However, in light of tomorrow being Memorial Day, a day when we honor and remember those who have lost their lives in war, I thought we could talk about warfare. Because that's like a fun, charming topic, right? I mean, everyone wakes up, let's just talk about warfare, you know. Um, But you know, actually, I I learned this this week. Memorial Day used to be called Decorating Day. So shortly after the Civil War, families would go to gravesites of their loved ones and they would decorate the gravesites. And this kind of became this tradition to honor those that they lost. It was kind of their way of grieving and just healing what was one of the, the bloodiest battles our nation had ever experienced. And it just kind of became this, uh, this um, tradition... I was going to say trend, but I'm like, eh, a tradition that, that carried on. And then, you know, we entered in World War I, and so it expanded to those who lost in that war. And then it just kind of kept expanding until eventually Congress finally caught on and thought, we should probably make this a national holiday. So in 1971, it took them all the way till 1971 to actually make this a national holiday. And then they renamed it Memorial Day. I didn't know that. You probably didn't know that. I think most people think Memorial Day is just a three-day weekend where... Cheap American beer sales quadruple, and the average American consumes an estimated 883 hot dogs per minute. That's disgusting. Okay, so if you do the math, that, I did the math, that's roughly 3.5 million hot dogs over the course of this weekend washed down by some really cheap beer. And we wonder why heart disease is the number one killer in our country, so just saying. So let me lay some groundwork um, about what I mean when we talk about warfare. And, and it kind of ties back to this concept of a kingdom. You see, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, the Bible tells us that we are born again, uh, that we take on citizenship in God's kingdom. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.17 tells us that once we choose to follow Christ, we actually become a new person. And then later in that same chapter, it speaks about how we're also ambassadors for Christ to this world. 
So as citizens in God's kingdom, there are implications for our lives. We have roles to play. We have responsibilities toward God and toward each other. And because of these responsibilities, we also encounter warfare with our enemy, the devil. Now, our role in God's kingdom can be summed up pretty easily. In fact, I like how George Ladd states it in his book, The Gospel of the Kingdom. And when talking about scripture, he says this, In this text, I find three things. There is a message, there is a mission, there is a motive. So our citizenship in God's kingdom produces three things in our lives. A message that we are to communicate, a mission that we have to complete, and a motivation that pushes us through turmoil and opposition. Now the message should be a no-brainer. The entire world needs to know that Christ Jesus has conquered death. He has restored mankind with their creator and will destroy death and all evil for good when he returns. And our mission is simply to take that message to the world so that all people hear it. And lastly, our motivation is that when the whole world has heard this message, Christ will return. Now maybe you're wondering, so why hasn't he returned yet? I mean, with the internet and technology today, I mean, hasn't the entire world been exposed to Christianity and its teachings? I mean, maybe I have no idea. But here is something to consider. In Matthew 24, Jesus is having this conversation with his disciples, and the discussion turns toward end-time events. And Jesus says this in verse 14, And the good news about the kingdom, our message, will be preached throughout the whole world so that all nations will hear it, our mission, and then the end will come, our motivation. But that phrase there, which says, all nations will hear it, that word hear in the Greek is marturion, which means to witness or have a direct knowledge of a person. So you see, as ambassadors of Christ, our responsibility is to display God's kingdom for people, not just hand out pamphlets with some information on it. And that's why one of our hills that we die on here at Reveal is the practice and proclamation of the kingdom of God. We're not just supposed to be professors who are transferring information to students. Rather, we're to be like rafting guides. You guys ever been whitewater rafting? When I was in the military, I was stationed up in Idaho, and I had the pleasure of going on a whitewater rafting trip. And I had so much fun with it. The the guy that took me, we played volleyball together, and he used to run this uh, program that would take servicemen and do these trips. But they were pretty expensive. And so him and I were chatting. He says, you know, if you become a a rafting guide where you, you, know, you lead groups of people down the river, you get to go for free. I'm like, well, hey, sign me up. So I went through all the training. You know, I got certified. I figured out how to flip a boat over and all the stuff that you have to do. And I'll never forget the first group of people that I took down the river. Um, had this, there was this bend in the river. So, you know, you kind of study the river as you're going up. You're kind of like, oh, well, I don't want to get caught here. And as I was watching the river, there was this point where there was this big rapid. And right as you got past the rapid, there was a bend in the river. So it turned left. And so behind the rapid was this huge rock. But the rapid itself had this weird dichotomy to it. So on the left-hand side, it was kind of a smaller rapid, even though it was still like about three or four feet. And then the right-hand side was this this huge rapid on on the right. And usually when you come to a rapid, you kind of hit it right in the middle of the apex, and you just pop right over that thing. Well, I had watched many people go over this rapid, and their boat would either get flipped over to the right, or they'd make it over, but then they'd get stuck on that rock. And I thought, oh, man, what are we going to do here? And so I started developing this plan. And so my plan was 
we're going to go straight at the right side of that rapid. We're going to go straight for the, for the big boy. We're going to ignore that little rapid. We're going to go straight at that right rapid. And I know that right over there is, is the rock. But as soon as we hit that rapid, as soon as the raft hits the water, I'm going to dig in and I'm going to kick this raft to the left. So we're going. We hit that rapid. I dig in. I'm, I yank that thing over. We shoot out of that rapid beautifully. Everyone's cheering. Their adrenaline's going. They're like, ah! And they turn around, you know, to congratulate me on my wise tactics just to find out that I was missing. So they're like, Mike, that, that was so awesome, Mike. See, when I had dug in, I had dug in so hard and with so much might that I f- literally pulled myself out of the boat and I flipped over, head over heels into the rapid. And so it, the, the raft went exactly like I wanted it to. And I was just kind of, you know, floating behind them. And they caught up and they dragged me into the boat. And I share that story with you because when we share the message of Christ, we want to lead people into an experience with him. Not just a knowledge about him. You see, even if that means we fall out of the boat in order to give them that experience, well, that's okay. Because it's not about what we get out of it. It's about what they experience. So perhaps the reason why Jesus hasn't returned yet is simply that we haven't really accomplished our mission. But of course, still so many people will ask, well, when? When will Christ return? And many people seem to have an answer for this, which surprises me, really, because whenever I see someone definitively declare Christ's return, they usually end up looking like fools. But I like what George Ladd says in his book. He says this, I know only one thing. Christ has not yet returned. Therefore, the task is not yet done. When it is done, Christ will come. Our responsibility is not to insist on defining the terms of our task. Our responsibility is to complete it. So long as Christ does not return, our work is undone, let us get busy and complete our mission. Pretty to the point. In other words, I don't know, but get back to work. You know, it's kind of the summary there. So this leads us into our discussion on warfare itself. And I think one of the greatest challenges for the church in America is to simply see the need for us to actually engage in spiritual battle with our enemy, Satan. Because we tend to just look at people. You know, we tend to look at the, the symptoms of war instead of looking at the real root causes. You know, we, we see the enemy as threatening our way of life or our standard of living. So whether it's things like ISIS or possibly North Korea. I remember when I was a kid, it was, it was communism in Russia. Um, but where do wars really come from? And Scripture actually gives us an answer to this question. In Ephesians 6.12, it tells us, For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So contrary to general opinion, the causes of war are not just found in people. There's more beneath the surface. So our fight isn't just with those who oppose us, but ultimately our fight is with the enemy that is causing those people to oppose us. And that is where we want to focus the bulk of our combative efforts. I mean, truth be told, this fight doesn't really feel real to us because it's not kind of on our doorstep, so to speak. So it's easy to simply be content with knowing what we believe, attending church on a regular basis, so far as what regular means to you, and maybe sending some money to different charitable organizations when there's margin within our finances. The idea of actually fighting with evil spirits in an unseen world doesn't really seem to sit on the forefront of our minds. 
In fact, if we're being honest, some of you are like, dude, it's kind of a little wacky. And maybe you're thinking, well, hey, no harm, no foul, right? I mean, I'm not harming anyone, nor am I experiencing any threats, so what's the big deal? And perhaps we think that because there aren't any bombs being dropped in our streets, nor are there any bullets flying around our neighborhoods, unless maybe you live in the hood, then that's a, you know, a different story. But honestly, the things that we see going on in Syria and other parts of the world, they're not happening in our neighborhoods, so it's kind of easy for us to just think, hey, things are good. We don't really need to worry about anything. But the sad thing is that while we live in one of the most healthy environments in the world, we are losing battles like crazy on the spiritual front. We're losing battles with our sexuality. Promiscuity is, is rampant throughout our culture. Men and women are addicted to pornography, and children are engaging in sexual activity at a younger and younger age statistically. We're losing battles in our homes. Our families are being ripped apart by divorce or by child protective services because of neglect or abuse. You know, one of the areas that I volunteer in on my own is is I I do a lot of coaching in in, in city leagues and whatnot, and it breaks my heart to see how many kids feel abandoned and disconnected from their parents, even though their parents are there in their lives every day, but they've checked out mentally or emotionally, and they're just not available. You know, we're losing the battle to addictions of every kind. It's not just drugs. There's alcohol, there's sex, there's food, and there's even media, even social media. We've turned entertainment into an addiction. And these addictions, they rule our lives and they dictate how we spend our money and how we spend our time. You know, we're losing the battle with our finances. Our nation is racked with debt. In fact, most people just assume that you're always going to have a car payment and a house payment. The idea of having neither is either a pipe dream or it's just some kind of weird Amish thinking. Um, Or our priorities are just completely out of whack. We value our careers over our relationships. We value our standards of living over our character. And while most of us have everything that we think we need, tongue-in-cheek, because we always want more, we're rarely, if ever, happy. I'll never forget going to Panama with my wife. Her father has this island off the... Well, he doesn't own the island. That, that sounded like... Like, they plane, they plane. Like, no, no, that's not, that's not what it was. Um, <laughs> those of you who are over 30, you got that. You can ask your parents when you get home. Um, so we, we go off to this island. He has this house on this island. It's about a three-hour boat ride off the Pacific coast of Panama. And it's just a miserable boat ride. I, don't ever take me on a cruise. You will regret that decision. I hate boats. And so we get out there. I'm motion sick. I need like three hours to recover. But I'll never forget that the time that we spend there, I would watch these kids on the island. So there was no electricity. There was no running water. Everything was a well water. There was generators. And there's just like chickens and dogs running all over the place. And I wasn't sure if we could eat either one of them. You know, I didn't know, you know. But these kids would run around. And every time the tide would come in, they would run out to the dock and they would swim. They didn't have board shorts. They were swimming in their underwear. And some of them that didn't have underwear, well, you can imagine. But I remember watching these kids and thinking, they're so happy. These kids don't even know what they don't have. Yet they're ten times happier than most of the kids that I see back home. So we're, we're unhappy even though we have so much. There's a spiritual realm that we're missing. In addition, we're losing the battle on a spiritual front. Our nation is decreasing in the number of people who are born-again Christians. Belief in God, the Bible, and just the the working of the Holy Spirit is dwindling even within the church. And my suspicion is that we are losing many of these battles because we're neglecting the fight that is taking place, not in the physical realm, but in the spiritual realm. And I have a suspicion that part of the reason why we check out of that fight is because we can't control the 
circumstances or the outcomes of those battles. Because as Americans, I mean, let's, let's admit it. I mean, we're addicted to success and progress. We're kind of a nation of control freaks. And so spiritual warfare doesn't fit into that paradigm. So what do we do, right? Do we run out into the middle of the street and declare that we are, you know, in spiritual battle? No, I mean, that might be a little weird. Your neighbors might call the cops. Um, unless it works for you, then, then let me know and maybe I'll try it as well. Um, but I think first and foremost, we just simply need to get back to being about our mission. You know, what is our mission? We're to share the message with everyone we possibly can. And I'm not suggesting that you become that creepy guy at work, you know. Hi, Mary, how's it going? You know, Jesus' mother was Mary. Oh, are you having a sandwich today? You know, Jesus was sandwiched between two thieves and the cross. I mean, that's not what I'm talking about, all right? That's just weird, all right? Don't be weird. Don't be weird. Just be real. Be honest, right? But be about our mission. You don't have to go looking for spiritual battle. If you are about the mission, expanding the kingdom of God, the battle will find you. Because our battles will stem from our success in sharing our message. Because as you advance the gospel of the kingdom of God, Satan will take notice of you. And that's when we need to be ready for battle. 1 Peter 5, 8 warns us to be alert because Satan is really out looking to cause destruction. And who is he most likely going to attack first? Those who are chipping away at his influence in the world. But before you can engage the enemy, you need to know how. You need to have the right armor and the right tools and weapons. In Ephesians 6, 10, and 11, Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And he's telling them to be strong in the Lord and to put on all the armor so that they can stand against the devil. But right away there, he says, be strong in the Lord. We need to note that our first step is to recognize that we lack the ability to fight Satan on our own. We need the strength of God in our lives. But if you're only giving 70 minutes a week to God by coming here, your armor is going to be rusty and vulnerable. And your weapons are going to be dull and harmless. In John 15, 5, Jesus was telling his followers that, yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. You can't do it on your own. You don't have the ability to conquer demons. You need the strength of God working in your life. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. So picking up, uh, back up in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, Paul is telling us, who is our real enemy? And we've already covered this part of the text. Our enemy is not against flesh and blood, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Then in verses 14 through 17, Paul describes what the pieces of armor actually are. First, we have the belt of truth. When we think about it, a belt is something that surrounds you, right? Um, We need to surround ourselves with God's truth, which is his word. And when we do that, we create a connection and an intimacy with our heavenly father. We begin to see ourselves the way God sees us because his truth is surrounding us. You know, unfortunately, many of us either doubt God's word or we simply neglect it. As I mentioned earlier, life doesn't demand our need to be in the word as much. So it's easy to just kind of leave it alone for periods of time. 
But if, if this book, or in my case, the book that's on this tablet, if this book really does contain the words that God inspired, I mean, we should be devouring them. You know, instead of binging on Netflix, we should be binging on learning and understanding God's Word. And I know that that sounds churchy or preachy, but it's true. I mean, you can have Netflix, but make sure you have God's Word first. Next up, we have the armor of righteousness. Or in other translations, it says the breastplate of righteousness. I don't know about you, but I don't think guys get excited about the idea of putting on a breastplate. Um, armor sounds tougher than breastplate, so I'm, I'm going to go with that. Thank you. One person with me. Your body armor protects your vital organs, right? If your enemy can pierce your armor or find a crack in it, chances are he will, you know, strike a death blow or at least a strong enough blow to take us out of the fight. And righteousness is the thing that protects the vital areas of our life. And really what we're talking about here is character. When we develop the character of Christ, we develop his righteousness along with it. And one of the best ways I know to develop characters is to simply live in obedience. And obedience breeds righteousness. And when you look at all the different areas of your life, how are you to be obedient with your finances, with your relationships, with your time, you know? But when we keep God out of those certain parts of our lives, what we do is we expose those areas of our lives to Satan. And what is exposed will be attacked. And it will be exploited. It's why the rest of the world may be able to do certain things, but we cannot. There's no law against how we express ourselves sexually. But God desires us to obey his commands with regards to our sexuality and purity. The world can spend their money however they want. Yet God wants us to obey him with our finances. Now this one may slip on some toes... But the world is allowed to entertain themselves with whatever they feel like. But God commands us to be wise about what we allow our eyes to take in. You know, personally, when I was a teenager and a young man, I didn't know Christ. And I sowed into an extremely unhealthy lifestyle with my own sexuality. And Satan took full advantage of that to introduce me to a promiscuous life, to pornography. In fact, I was introduced to pornography at the age of eight Eight. And this was way before the internet. I'm now 43 years old and I've been a follower of Christ since I was 19. And what I've learned is that the devil is real effective at dialing up your past sins to try and entice you or shame you. And either way, he'll do all that he can to just pick at those old scars. And for me personally, it's why I take my sources of entertainment very seriously. I'm very cautious about what I watch. And some may see that on the surface as me being religious or judgmental or a prude. But it's simply me clinging to obedience to God's wisdom. Because I care more about my character and my impact for God's kingdom than I do about having first-hand experiences with trending media. So before we move on to the rest of the pieces of armor, what areas of your life have you left God out of? Is it your finances? Do you push him out of your workplace? Maybe it's a relationship that you know isn't healthy for you, but you ignore his word on the issue. Man, I could spend a lot of time laying out the possibilities, but you know, you know that, well, I should do this, but you need to check that. Because it could be the area where you're vulnerable. It could be the area where the enemy is going to exploit you. But just ask him, he'll show you. God, where am I holding back? Just ask him, and he'll show you. The next part of our armor 
are the shoes that bring peace. Some translations say the shoes of the gospel of peace. And this is simply us carrying out our mission of sharing the message of Jesus Christ. If you think about it, shoes allow you to move forward more productively. They protect your feet, which allow you to generate momentum. And see, as we live in peace among others and introduce them to Jesus, bringing ultimate peace into their lives, we're expanding the kingdom of God. And if God's kingdom is expanding through our efforts, well, Satan's territory is shrinking. After the shoes of peace, we have the shield of faith. A shield is something you stand behind. So when arrows are raining down on you and you cannot move, you just simply take cover. And the truth is, is life will produce some pretty nasty circumstances for us. And it's going to look different for each of us. But when those times come, and we don't have the ability to push forward, our faith is what we stand behind. We take cover behind our shield. Despite our circumstances, we can look at what Jesus did on the cross for us and know that God loves us. When we feel threatened, we can look at the resurrection and know that God is bigger than any circumstances we may find ourselves in. And in the words of the great theologian, Larry the Cucumber, God is bigger than the boogeyman. He's bigger than Godzilla or the monsters on TV. (laughs) Sorry, I have three kids and I foster and sometimes I've just got to purge this stuff out. Well, next Paul tells the Ephesians to put on their helmet of salvation. The helmet protects your head, which is where you think. And let me just say that if we could win the battle over our own thoughts, we would be so much more effective for the kingdom and for the sake of the gospel. Our minds is where Satan always attacks first. He attacks our minds to introduce rebellion and lawlessness. He attacks our minds to introduce pride, which eventually leads to greed and all other sorts of sin. Our minds are like the headquarters of our war. And we need to be the strongest here than anywhere else. And this is why, for me, again, the sources of entertainment are important. It's why I must be committed, why we must be committed to reading God's word on a daily basis. It's why we need to learn how to meditate on God's word. Learning how to listen and hear the Holy Spirit. Because what we think about affects how we feel. And what we feel will determine how we act. The last part of the armor that Paul mentions is the sword of the Spirit, which is God's word. And this text that we have freely at our fingerprints, or fingertips, fingerprints and tips, is our strongest weapon against our enemy. If there is anything that you take away today, it is the seriousness with which you ought to regard the reading, understanding, and memorizing of God's word. Because listen, your logic and your philosophy will fail you in the wake of Satan's attacks. However, God's word will never fail you. Paul ends this part of his letter with one last instruction. It isn't a part of the armor, but it's certainly a way to use it. He says this in verse 18, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So in other words, we need to be praying a lot. And Paul isn't talking about praying for your day to go well or for you to get that great parking spot when you go to lunch today or whatnot. Paul is telling us to saturate everything in prayer with the mindset of what our ultimate mission is in life. And he's also reminding us that we're not in this fight alone. There are other believers, and we need to be praying for them. Because there are going to be times when you're refreshed, you're in a mountaintop experience, God is good, this is great, life is good. And then there are others who are going through their own literal hell. And they need us praying for them, interceding for them, giving them the strength that they lack in that moment. 
And this is going to look different at all the different times. You know, sometimes we just might simply pray for requests that a friend or a loved one shares with us. And sometimes we may be led by the Holy Spirit to intercede for somebody. I'll never forget the day I was sitting in my living room. I was watching TV. It was a day off. I was managing restaurants at the time. And there was another manager, um, a kitchen manager, that just all of a sudden just came into my mind. And it was like I was watching TV, but then all of a sudden I had this mental image in my head that I couldn't shake. And in this mental image, I saw this, this, this guy that I worked with just sitting on his couch watching TV. And he had this, this look of apathy, of, of just giving up on life. He looked like he was drunk maybe. And, and I just felt like there was this sense that here was a man that was contemplating if life was even worth living. I didn't know what to do with that. I didn't know why it was just overwhelming me. So I just, I turned off the TV. I went into a room where I didn't have any distraction. And I just prayed for that man. I, I prayed for whatever came up to my mind. I prayed against, you know, the lies of the enemy. I, I prayed against just, you know, fear. And, and I, I prayed for purpose. I mean, I, I, it's been so long. I don't remember everything that I prayed for. But I'll never forget going into work the next day. I mean, the last thing I did was go up to him and say, Hey, dude, were you thinking about, you know, ending it all last night? You know, I, I didn't do that. That was meant to be funny, thank you. I told you, I have a really kind of sarcastic sense of humor. You have to, you have to forgive me. Um, but I did bump into another coworker, and this coworker knew that I was a believer. And she came up to me. She said, Hey, I had this really disturbing dream last night. And I thought, What, what, what do you mean? She said, I had this dream that so and so, the guy that I pray for, that he, that he killed himself. I thought, Oh my goodness, that's weird. Um, and, and, you know, for me, it, it, it kind of confirmed that the Holy Spirit was prompting me to pray for that man. Now, again, I'm assuming that that's, that that's what he was contemplating. I never followed up with him. Um, but the point was, is there are going to be times when the Holy Spirit's going to say, hey, look, you need to pray for this. And it's not been on your radar. And your job is to stop, drop, and pray. Go and pray for that thing. There are going to be times when prayer will look like offering uh, to pray for a stranger in public. You know, that, that thing that we always love to do, right? Going to the grocery store. I should probably pray for that guy, but... <laughs> That's been my own experience. Well, I, I remember I was in the grocery store probably about three months ago. And there was a lady, and I'm watching her. I mean, she just looks like she's miserable. And so I asked her, I said, hey, can I pray for you? And I'm thinking, oh, here it comes, you know, the weirdo alert, you know. I'm, just, I'm becoming that guy, I'm becoming that guy, you know, the, the one that people run from when they see you in public. And my kids were there, and I thought, you know what, even if I'm wrestling with this, I'm doubting, and I'm thinking, this is crazy, I'm putting a big target of weirdness on me. This is going to benefit my kids. To see this, we need to be bold. We need to do this. Well, I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? They think I'm weird? That's all right. I look dumb every day in my life. It's what I do for a living. You know, so who cares? Let's just do this thing, right? Because um, our job isn't to make healing happen, because we can't. Our job is to ask in the name of Jesus that healing would happen. And prayer may simply look like you sharing your thoughts with God. Brother Lawrence in his book, Practicing in His Presence, is just all about this guy who worked in a kitchen at, you know, at a monastery. And he just talked to Jesus while he was washing dishes. I mean, honestly, I thought, this is a miserable book. Why am I reading this? You know, I, I, I don't want to wash dishes, first of all. And I don't think I'd be happy enough to want to talk to Jesus in the midst of that. I'd be like, this sucks. I can't believe I'm doing this, you know. But he found joy in this thing, right? And, but it's this idea that we can just talk to God. We can just share our thoughts with him. You know, um, 
when we read something in the Bible and we're like, I, I don't get that. Just talk to them. Like, God, I don't get this. You know, or if we read something in the Bible and we do get it, but it bothers us, talk to them about it. God, I'm reading this. This is what it's saying. This is kind of a hard pill for me to swallow. He can handle your doubts. He can handle your frustrations. He can handle, you know, whatever it is you bring. He can handle it. And sometimes prayer is casting out a demonic influence over someone. You know, maybe they feel oppressed or maybe they're fully possessed. And I know that that sounds weird, but if you've ever been to a third world country, this kind of stuff is out in the open far more than it is here. And I really believe that we overlook the significance of this part of our spiritual life because we've been numbed by our comforts, our sophistication, and our education. Yes, I've taken the classes that literally mock this part of our faith. But I've also seen the reality of it really surface. And I would love to see the faces of some of those professors when they're in the face of someone who's claiming to have a demon in them. Then kind of go, oh, well, no, this is just some neurotic thing. No, 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 it's not neurotic. It's a demon, okay? Look, I don't point at everything and say, oh, the devil bonked my knee. I, I'm not that person, but I'm not going to look away from the reality just because it makes you uncomfortable or it doesn't seem sophisticated. I will become undone for the sake of the gospel. And last but not least, praying sometimes looks like fasting. You know, we fast for many different reasons. Sometimes we fast to receive an answer for a particular prayer. Sometimes we simply fast as a way of worship. Personally, I will fast as a form of disciplining my flesh and letting my my flesh know you're not the boss of me. The Holy Spirit is the boss of me. And I really feel like this is also a neglected discipline that we desperately need in our lives. Because if you don't fast, you're you're not training your flesh to know that there are limits and what we indulge in. I mean, statistically, look, I'm not trying to beat up on anyone here. I, I, I used to be extremely guilty of this, and there, I still fight my own tendencies. But we're a country that are eating ourselves to death. We need to learn how to discipline ourselves and learn how to say no. And not just to food, but to other things, to other people. If we don't have discipline in simple areas of our lives, how are we going to have discipline in the really strong and hard to beat areas of our lives? In wrapping this up, we need to remember something about this warfare that we are engaged with. And first is that the victory has already been claimed. The fighting isn't over yet, but the ultimate victory has already been claimed by Christ when he died on the cross and was resurrected on the third day. You know, unfortunately, we don't fully understand why God waits to return and finish the fight. I mean, we can speculate, and some of our theology on this point may even be close to the truth. But Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 13.10 that we only know in part. So no matter how much we discuss a matter, there should always be some humility in us to acknowledge that there are still some things that we don't quite understand. And so while the war is ultimately won, the battles that are still being fought are still claiming real casualties. Think about it this way. On May 8, 1945, most of the world declared that World War II was over. There was celebration happening in the streets all over many countries, all over the world. In fact, you may remember uh, this famous picture in Times Square. And the truth is, the war was, for the most part, won. However, here is another picture that was taking place near the same time as the first one. But this picture is quite different. This was Luzon, an island in the Philippines, You see, while the rest of the world was claiming victory over evil, battles were still being fought in the South Pacific. In fact, those battles would go on to claim more than 100,000 lives over that short period of time. 
You see, the news of the war being over didn't allow soldiers in that region of the world to let their guard down. They needed to be on the ready because the enemy they were fighting wasn't going to go quietly. And I don't believe for one second that our enemy, Satan, will go quietly. I believe he knows he's lost the war, but he will continue to destroy as much life as he can before his ultimate destruction. And that should be a sounding alarm for us. A real enemy means to do us harm. He means to do our families harm. And we can either sit by and watch him destroy life around us, or we can engage the fight with the weapons of the spiritual realm. We can pray. We can fast. We can bring healing. We can saturate our minds in God's word. And we can cast out demons. We take on our part of the mission of sharing the message of Christ until his return. I like how Martin Lloyd-Jones puts it in his book, Not Against Flesh and Blood, that this world of ours and the whole course of human history is in the last analysis, nothing but the arena in which a mighty spiritual conflict is taking place. A conflict between God and the forces of heaven and the devil and the forces of evil and hell. And in closing, I'd like to restate what I shared earlier from George Ladd When he said, so long as Christ does not return, our work is undone. Let us get busy and complete our mission. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would just allow your words to just penetrate the depths of our soul, Lord. That there would just be something that would would just... echo around in our hearts and our minds that we would not let go of this idea that there is a battle taking place whether we choose to be in it or not and that you are calling us to the fight. It's part of our citizenship. It's part of the the way we're supposed to be working in this world. God, I pray that you would just give us the boldness to step forward and ask for your Holy Spirit to empower us to let down the scales of our eyes to see where the battle is being fought, Lord. Help us to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit that we may have discernment and knowing how to pray that, that maybe sometimes this, something, a sickness is just a, a matter of etymology, but sometimes maybe, maybe there's a demonic thing going on. Lord, don't let us make assumptions. Help us to know because we have the Holy Spirit leading us in those times. Help us to not be ashamed of your message, but to claim it with boldness, but also with tact, with grace, and with love. God, don't let us leave here and then just kind of check this off as, yeah, that was a cool message, or maybe it was a terrible message, but I see his point, whatever the thoughts are. But, Lord, that we would be challenged to actually reflect on, okay, so what does this mean for me? What am I really supposed to be doing come tomorrow morning when my feet hit the floor and I'm a follower of Christ in this world and I have a purpose and a mission? What does that look like for me? So just come, Holy Spirit, have your way that you would overwhelm us, that you would remind us of how real and how powerful you are, Lord. Father, forgive me for when I've neglected you, Lord. I repent in, in front of all my brothers and sisters here. When I have done so much in my own strength, Lord, I repent. And I humbly come back to you, and Lord, ask that you would work in me, that I would be given your strength. And I pray this also for my friends here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, look, if you've got anything you want to receive prayer about, please come forward. We have a ministry team that would love to just pray with you, encourage you in whatever we can do. Uh, otherwise, go enjoy your 883 hot dogs and uh, wash it down with that crappy beer. So have a good weekend. <laughs>